Good morning. It's good to see you. A little background uh, to why I chose Psalm 91 for this morning's scripture and for our consideration this morning. I uh, appreciate Dr. John Newfeld. Many of you probably listen to him as well on Back to the Bible. You can listen to him twice a day if you want to, in the morning and in the evening. And I, uh, I really appreciate his teaching. And over the last uh, few months, he's made numerous references to the COVID-19 pandemic, as everybody else does as well. Maybe you're tired of hearing about this, but let me finish. For me, he's been very helpful in putting things into perspective. A lot of people are living in fear. Some people are even angry. I just talked to a guy on the street that I met recently, and of course the pandemic topic came up, as it always does, and he was angry. And he was so upset at how much control the governments of the world had over us at this time. They're telling us how we can meet, how many can meet, how far apart we have to be, and on and on. And he was quite upset. And I, I didn't say very much. I didn't disagree or agree with him. But when I was walking home, I thought to myself, you know, it's not really the governments of the world that are controlling us at all. It's something so small it can't be seen with the naked eye. It's a virus. That's what's controlling us right now, right? Governments are making rules in that regard, but it's this virus that's controlling us. Very tiny. Its influence is everywhere. We thought we were in control of our lives, didn't we? We like to think we are, but we're not. You better live with it. We're not. And Dr. Newfield, in one of his articles, suggests that if we're feeling fearful, we should, made, uh, we should meditate on Psalm 91, which Matt read for us earlier. And you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that again. And he writes this, he says, if you're one of those who bought toilet paper and other goods and are hoarding them, meditate on Psalm 91. And if you live in a province or state in which your worship services are canceled, because of group size limits, I recommend meditating on Psalm 91. And if you're upset because borders have been closed, I recommend meditating on Psalm 91. And if you fear the impact on the global economy and restrictions on travel, I recommend meditating on Psalm 91. And so when I was asked to speak this morning, I thought to myself, why not? Why not look at this Psalm 91? And then, believe it or not, a week and a half ago at our Bayside service, Pastor Danny read Psalm 91. <laughs> and I had already decided to use that, and he read it for the Bayside service as well. And I decided months ago when this pandemic started, I decided I was going to read through the Bible again. I was, I was spending more time at home. I had time in my hands more than ever. and. Uh, I thought, well, maybe I should read through the Bible again. I've done this a few times in the past years. And I decided this time, I'm going to read through the Bible in German. That way I can read through the Bible, and I have the added benefit of maybe 
sharpening up on the German language again. That was my mother tongue, by the way. And so I did that. I started months ago, I think I'm about a quarter way through the Bible now in German. I'm pronouncing a lot of the words totally wrong, I know that, especially the names. Maybe, maybe you've heard this. This is the first two verses of Psalm 91, for those of you who know the German, and there's a lot of you that do. Verse 1 and 2 of this psalm. Wer unter dem Schirm des Häusten sitzet und unter dem Schatten des Allmächtigen bleibet, der spricht zu dem Herrn meine Zuversicht und meine Burg, mein Gott, auf den ich hoffe. You can translate that if you read your English Bible. And so this, this particular psalm came up in my reading schedule just about a week ago. So there was three things. John Neufeld recommended it, Danny read it, and then in my reading schedule it came up, Psalm 91, three times in two languages. And I thought, God wants me to hear this. And maybe he wants all of us to hear this. There's a lot of people are upset about a lot of things, as I said before. We can't do anything about it. We should just settle down, keep our cool, right? Sometimes hard to do. But anyway, a lot of people are upset. I heard a guy that was so upset because he couldn't watch sports. The teams weren't playing. His favorite teams weren't playing. He couldn't watch sports. The games that are on the TV are reruns from two, three, four, five years ago. You can't watch sports. He got quite upset. And because he couldn't watch TV, he took, he took to watching his bird feeder in his backyard. <laughs> and you guessed it, Jay's over the Orioles three to one. <laughs> Enough of that. <laughs> Safety in the shadow and under his wings. What do you think would be the safest place in the world to be? Think about that. If you were asked, as I'm asking you now, what would be the safest place in the world to be right now? <laughs> yes. Would it be, some, some people might say, well, it could be uh, a bomb shelter. Maybe a bank vault. Maybe even a jail surrounded by the army. According to verse 1 of this psalm, the safest place in the world is a shadow. And that's a promise here to those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High. And then the question came to me, where do I dwell? Where do you dwell? Where do we dwell? Are we living in God's shadow? Or are we visiting only occasionally? Communion with God is safety. Verse 2 says, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. It is but poor comfort to say the Lord is a refuge. But to say that he is my refuge that is the essence of consolation. And one writer wisely put it this way, run to the throne, not the phone. My refuge. Or as I read recently, during the Second World War, someone ordered a sign in front, maybe you've read this too or heard this, a sign in front of a church in London 
which said, if your knees are shaking, kneel on them. Where is my safe place? Verse 3 to 5. For he who delivers you from the snare of the trap, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day. Under his wings. Jesus himself used that, that uh, picture of having wanting to gather people under as a hen gathers her young under her wings. I read a story that was quite a while ago, maybe you are familiar with this too, years ago before the prairies were all cultivated, prairie fires were, were a common occurrence in this part of the country, apparently. That's before my time. And sometimes, driven by the wind, the, the, the fire would sweep across the prairies at a, at a tremendous rate burning the grass <clears throat> and uh, one, after one of these fires a farmer was walking across his field close to his yard and he found one of his hens and the feathers were burnt off her back and she was dead and just out of curiosity he picked up the dead body of this hen and underneath were her live chicks. The fire had passed over so quickly and she had not moved from her nest and the, birds, the little birds were safe. So don't ever call your hen a chicken, right? Vernon McGee related how a young man in his congregation uh, uh, claimed verse five you will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day. Uh, he was going into military service. And he claimed this verse and he said, I am as safe on the battlefield as I am at home in my bed. Not to be afraid is in itself an unspeakable blessing. We've all experienced fear of something or other in our lives. We've all had at one time used the expression, I was scared half to death. Phil Calloway says, what if that happens twice? Remember that the voice which says, do not fear, is the voice of God himself. Days before his death, Jesus didn't tell his disciples, everything is fine. No, <clears throat> excuse me. No, he said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, not of good fear. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Everywhere we look today, we find people living anxious lives. Our leaders are anxious about the spread of the virus, of course, or about the economy, or about demonstrations and riots, etc., etc. A lot of people are anxious about their jobs, how they were going to pay their bills, and the list goes on. Down through the ages, people have faced the unknown and had to leave the solution with God and operate on the basis of faith. Just an example. The scriptures tell of Abraham being told by God to leave his homeland for a destination not yet revealed to him. He had to go by faith. And Moses was asked to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt 
he knew not how. And with the armies of Egypt pursuing, he came to the Red Sea, not knowing how they would cross, but God knew. I remember even as a kid in Sunday school being fascinated by the story of the feeding of the 5,000. John chapter 6. Let's take a look at that again. I want us to see something there. John chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. I'll just read that for us. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive even a little. End of verse 6. He himself knew what he was going to do. I love that. Don't you love that? God knew what he was intending to do. God knows, always knows what he's going to do. What a difference it would make if the verse read something like this. And he was saying to test him, for he himself didn't have a clue what he was going to do. What a comfort to remember that when we don't know, God knows. And so we can face tomorrow with the assurance that God is in control and that he knows what he's going to do. Nothing takes God by surprise. So as someone has written, don't tell God how big your giants are. Tell your giants how big your God is. And then guardian angels, verse 11, he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Excuse me. One of the functions of angels is to watch over believers over us as believers. That's one of the functions of angels. The Bible tells us that. Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? The Bible doesn't say that we all have one guardian angel. That's, that's a common belief. People say, well, we all have a guardian angel. The Bible doesn't actually say that, that we have a guardian angel, one of them assigned to us. So if someone tells you that they've got a guardian angel, you can do them one better. You've got angels more than you can count watching over you. If, now, if all of this is so, and you were waiting for this, right? If all of this is so, you're probably asking by now, why do believers then suffer? Why do they, in some cases, get killed? And why aren't we immune to this virus? Charles Spurgeon, many years ago, commenting on this passage, Psalm 91, he said, No evil in the strictest sense of the word can happen to the believer, for everything 
is overruled for good. Crushing calamities can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward. And verse 15, it gets even better. I will be with him in trouble. God himself, not just angels, God will be with us. He is there for us. He is always there. I've got a bookmark at home. It says on there, if God had a refrigerator, my picture would be on it. You remember that. You can put it on your fridge too. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 9, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And then verse 17, for, mon for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So what Paul is saying here is trials work for us, not against us. Our troubles should not diminish our faith or disillusion us. We should realize that there is a purpose in our suffering. Firstly, they remind us of Christ's suffering for us. If Christ suffered, why wouldn't we? Secondly, they keep us from pride. And thirdly, they cause us to look beyond this brief life. And fourthly, they prove our faith to others. And finally, they give God the opportunity to demonstrate his power. Faith, I think this is a good definition. Faith is trusting God in spite of circumstances and in spite of consequences and in spite of feelings. Paul writes in Philippians 1, 21 to 24, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me and I do not know which to choose. I am hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. That was Paul's perspective, and that's the eternal perspective that God desires for all of us. I bought a book after the 9-11 terrorist attacks in the U.S., that was in 2001. I remember it as if it was yesterday. That's 19 years ago. And I bought this book where several different pastors and leaders share their views and perspectives. The proceeds of the book uh, also went for the support of the families who had lost, lost loved ones in that attack. And Chuck Colson is one of the contributors, and he noted how God had brought good out of evil, out of one of the worst tragedies in American history, how the nation came together with greater unity, and how the Sunday after the attack, his church was filled to capacity in all the services, as was the case in many places in the U.S. and also in many countries around the world. People's values shifted. What was important on September 10th meant next to nothing the very next day. Susie and I were in Bolivia visiting our children. We were in Santa Cruz. We were supposed to fly home that day. I think I've shared you this story with you before, but bear with me. We were called to come to the mission's office. They had 
TV where we where we stayed in the apartment. We only had Spanish TV, so it wasn't much good to us. But at the missions office, they had an English CNN channel, and they asked us to come over there. And we walked in, and it was totally quiet. Nobody was talking. It was it was eerie. Everybody's eyes were glued to the TV. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. We were to, as I said, we were to fly home that day. We had our return tickets in our, in our hands, but we couldn't. Airports were shut down. We were out of con the control. We had lost all control. As I said before, we think we can control our lives, and there's so many times God has to teach us, no, no, you're not in control. Max Lucado writes after that event, it seemed like an awful dream, but it was not a dream. People did perish, buildings did fall. Would life ever be normal again? And that's what people are asking. Someone asked me that the other day. People are asking that even now, even today. Will life ever be normal again? Maybe not. And then verse 14 to 16, the six I wills. Verse 14, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. Underline because, it's there twice. Because he has loved me, because he has known my name. Two important becauses. Because he has loved me, I will, and because he has known my name, I will. Aren't you glad that he doesn't say, the psalmist doesn't say, because he is without sin, or because he has perfectly kept all my commandments, or because he has merit and deserves to be delivered and guarded? No, because he has loved me and he has known my name. And in response to the psalmist's love and faith in him, God promises six times, I will, I will deliver him, I will set him securely on high, I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble, I will rescue him, I will satisfy him with a long life. And let him see, that would be his closing vision, let him see my salvation, eternal life in a better world the ultimate blessing of God with us. Salvation and eternal life in a better world. Have you ever asked someone to do something for you and their answer was, I'll try? Or their answer was, I will if I don't forget? Or I'll do my best? Or even you better ask someone else, I'm not sure I can do that. Aren't you glad that God's answer is, I will. Oftentimes, even before we ask, Isaiah 65, 24, before they call, I will answer. Poet George Matheson puts it this way, there is an eye that never sleeps beneath the wind of night. There is an ear that never shuts when sink the beams of light. There is an arm that never tires when human strength gives way. There is a love that never fails when earthly loves decay. Ravi Zacharias, another man I greatly admired who just passed away a few weeks ago, 
from cancer. He was commenting on the COVID-19 pandemic before his passing, and he encouraged people to combine faith with common sense. And he told his hearers to avoid two extremes, avoid panic and fear, and avoid indifference. And he especially encouraged people to pray, aligning our will with God's will. And just this past week, I was listening to the program on TV. Some of you maybe listen to it as well. I, I listen to it once in a while, especially if I know who's being interviewed. And this time on Tribal Trails, maybe some of you saw that. That was just this past week. They interviewed Ron Freeman. Do you remember Ron Freeman? He was called Pocahontas. He was, sang first tenor with the Lumber River Quartet. That quartet has been in our church over the years several times. And they were interviewing him. And Ron commented on his favorite song, a song that became very special to him at the time of his mother's passing. I still have that CD as well where that song is on, so it's called Held by His Love. And the song Ron referred to is Farther Along. Tempted and tried, we're oft made to wonder why it should be thus all, day, all the day long, while there are others living around us, living so wicked year after year. Farther along, we'll know all about it, Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. When we see Jesus coming in glory, when, we, when he comes from his home in the sky, then we shall see him in that bright mansion and we'll understand it all by and by. As we close this morning, I would like to read a verse that was part of the scripture reading this past Friday morning at Eva Weeb's funeral. I felt that it was a fit that as I was sitting there, I felt that this was a verse for a fitting conclusion to what we've been talking about this morning. It's John chapter 4, verse 27, or John 14, sorry, John 14, 27. It was actually on the front of the funeral program. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Will you bow with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the peace that you alone can give, that we have no need to fear the present or the future, and that we can have this confident assurance in any circumstance, knowing that we are safe in the shadow of your wings. Amen.